This is Joe Cole, and you're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Cobham Crew. That's right, we got a Chelsea Youth update about all things Academy. Phil, how is it going? It's not too bad. It's been an interesting November because there's been a real shortage of Academy action on the pitch. We've had the international break in the men's game, and that's coincided with the Under-17 World Cup, which Chelsea sent six under-18 players to. So the under-18s have only had one competitive match since our last update and the development squad have only had one themselves so it seems a decent opportunity to to take a step back switch the focus on to this year's loan army uh, which is much smaller in number than before but no less interesting and uh, spend a little bit of time dedicated to to some players who are a little bit further along the development track and and uh, what the future may hold for them yeah, no, that'll be good. Obviously, love to. It, it's we've been doing these like the end of the month because the hope is that there'll be matches that have been played. You can look ahead, you know. But we have our last international break until March, thankfully. Um, but obviously, it does affect the academy side as well. They're still playing games, which is good. Um, it, but it's it's same thing, right? There's not as much as we would have. So I love the pivot to kind of the the loan army. You said it's not as busy, right? New limitations gone to the Emanalo days where. We have three squads worth of players out on loan, uh, able to generate a ton of money from that. And so uh, the the ownership group have had to ad- adapt this season and uh, really kind of change it up. And it forced some uncomfortable placements, I think. So there's a lot to kind of go through this, um, which will be great. But it, it is always important, I think, for you to kind of level set with everybody on like, hey, what is the role of the loan army? It's Chelsea see it today, especially in partnership with the Academy, all within the hopes of developing first uh, team players. Yeah, so it's it's useful to sort of go back to the Ebonalo era at Chelsea, which uh, sort of began over a decade ago now, when they would routinely have 40 plus players out and combine more than 50 moves of a season. Some of that was speculative signings that were never going to feature in the Chelsea men's first team and were signed to try to develop and move along for a profit. And there are players in 2023 who are exactly the same at Chelsea. But the general principle and understanding within English football is that there needs to be a bridge or several bridges between academy and development football and playing in the Premier League or playing for Chelsea. So... That's the role of the of the loans. You go on a first move into senior football at an appropriate level uh, and try to take incremental steps towards having a career in Chelsea Blue at Stamford Bridge. And we've seen over the last five years the several key players who are in the men's squad now who helped win the Champions League in 2021 have, have trodden the same path. The Chelsea captain now, Rhys James, had a season at Wigan. Um, Conor Gallagher had spells at Charlton and Swansea and West Brom and Crystal Palace. And he's a really good example of a player who made the step up each time, (coughs) excuse me, he found a a new move. It was to keep rising to the challenge, set the bar higher and higher and higher. And that's generally the principle that we're looking at for players who go on loan each and every year. And every one of them is at different points of their development. Everyone's got a different story. But I think one of the main things to remember with them all is that we can try to evaluate their performance and development within the context of the move that they're currently in. That's a very isolated exercise, but the bigger picture always has to ask what's next. And that what's next might be another loan. It might be moving into the first team at Chelsea, but that's quite rare. 
It could be being sold on for profit. It could be just an actual end of contract, all of these things. And it, it generally seems unlikely that in any given year, more than one or two of a season's cohort will end up playing a meaningful role for the Chelsea men's first team. And those that do tend to be beneficiaries of luck and circumstance more than by design, even if the, the talent level is there and, and is deserved, the opportunity tends to come along through injury or circumstance or whatever, what have you. But it's still an interesting exercise to talk about development and uh, in, in a non-linear way um, and identify the players that are well set, having good seasons, what the ones that aren't enjoying their seasons need to do to, to push on and, uh, and to kick on and, and realise the potential. And then look down the road, 6, 12, 18 months from now, where are these players? If they're trying to be developed for a profit, can they realise that? Uh, and everything else that goes into it, I think it, most people who are listening won't be new to the the purpose of the loan army and and the way things work at Chelsea. But it's it's a little bit more interesting now because of some of the restrictions that Chelsea face. For example, you can only have seven players out on international loans unless they are uh, Copham graduates and under the age of twenty one. So they're already working within relatively limited confines, and that informs what you do with them. Maybe makes you make a decision or two quicker. But we'll get into that with each and every player we we've got this season. Absolutely, we got a lot to run through, but it's it's good, right? There's options. This is loan army transitional time for a lot of these players. Um, so yeah, you wanted to kick off with the Brazilians, which I think is a great place to start. You got Andre Santos. Angelo Gabriel and David Washington, who's with the club, but, you know, not only is there current loans, but there's maybe future loans as well. So uh, where would you like to start when it comes to um, the Samba boys? Yeah, I thought it was interesting to start with them because it represents a particular strand of development and speculative signings that the club are quite keen on. And it's not strictly limited to Brazilians because they've obviously got Kendry Pires, uh, Independiente del Valle in Ecuador who, for all intents and purposes, is on loan. He doesn't count towards the limits because it's arranged as a future transfer and he joins in two years' time when he's 18. So the South American market is obviously quite interesting for Chelsea and in and how they handle them. So Andre Santos was playing in the second tier with Vasco da Gama, helped them get promoted, had a, a little run in Serie A with them before then joining up with Chelsea in pre-season. And there was a lot of optimism and, and hope and hype about what he could achieve he did fairly well in pre-season, but it's uh, an environment that it's really easy to get carried away in. He had a, a strong South American under-20 championships, and there were there were projections that he could play a meaningful role in Pochettino's Chelsea this season. And people are about to pump the brakes on that. He went to Nottingham Forest and basically hasn't played. And Forest is by no means the best opportunity, best loan move he could have made this summer. There was interest from. Uh, clubs in Central Europe I think Porto had an interest there would have been a myriad of options but as we've just mentioned there were a limited number of international loan spots he ended up not taking one because he stayed within England where there are no limits apart from particular Premier League rules and he's gone to Forest, who subsequently signed a bunch of other players in his position as they always do that could have been foreseen and hasn't played someone like Angelo Gabriel is more experienced by comparison despite both players still being really young he has more than 100 senior appearances in uh, for Santos uh, before moving to Chelsea and then going on loan to Strasbourg in Ligue 1 in France which is a really good development move for him 
it's worth taking those 100 plus senior appearances with more than a grain of salt because quite a, quite a number of them were in regional state championships where yes there are a couple of really good teams but the majority of them are second third fourth tier teams some of them part-time uh, semi-professional and and everything that comes with that it might be the equivalent of Chelsea's under 21s playing in the EFL trophy against third and fourth tier teams and that competition might seem uh, a little bit more competitive by comparison therein but he's he's gone to Strasbourg and he's, and he's playing and it's it's a decent spell it's not great he is what he is. He's a left-footed winger who likes to dribble, and that shows up on tape. It shows up on the statistics. It's kind of all he does, and there's nothing really wrong with that. It's, we can have a debate another time about whether you want a player who has a lot of strings to their bow but isn't necessarily elite in any one area or somebody who is elite at one very specific thing but hasn't got a fully rounded game outside of that. And that's neither here nor there. But if you compare Angelo to Noni Madueke, for example, Noni played in the Eredivisie, which on some models is roughly similar to the Brazilian Serie A in, in the standard of league. It's a second-tier league. It's not one of the top four or five in the world, uh, whereas Ligue 1 in France probably is, and that's where he stepped up to, and Noni made the move to Chelsea. They're both left-footed wingers who like to come inside. They like to dribble a lot. And they've both got a long way to go. And if you'd have, for example, swapped them around and put Madueke into Strasbourg and Angelo into Chelsea for the last six to 12 months, how would their journeys have looked respectively? I think Madueke might have been more refined than he is now at Chelsea for that bridge loan coming out of the Eredivisie we've seen Chelsea players go there before Mason Mount went to Vitesse and then went to Derby Armando Breuer went to Vitesse and then went to Southampton you can go over and over and over it's very hard to come out of the Eredivisie and make an impact at the top level of Premier League football so Angelo going to France is, is a good step for him and he's got a long way to go to move on from Strasbourg and maybe have another step between there and Chelsea if he's going to be at Chelsea or if you're looking to sell him on for a profit on the books you still want another season after Strasbourg or to help Strasbourg kick along and become a top half team or a top six team, qualify for UEFA competition, what have you. I think it's just quite interesting to juxtapose two young wingers. One of them skipped that step that Angelo's on now and probably will go out on loan in January to get the football he needs and to continue to refine his craft. And one who's done it coming from the South American market because uh, ultimately it's going to be one, not both of them, who end up at Chelsea, and we've got Amari Hutchinson in a very similar position and role who we'll talk about a little bit later. They've got options coming through the pipeline in that role, and they're all on different paths. Well, I mean, the teams aren't, right? Both mid-table oh, yeah. <laughs> in their leagues. And so that is kind of one balancing uh, factor for them too, Phil, is that like, it's not like Nani's in a struggling Chelsea side and um, Angelo's in a, a flying Strasbourg side. I mean, they're 13th. Uh, in the in the league on table, and they've only got eighteen teams, so they're actually, you know, uh, yeah, it's not been going particularly well, and the fans aren't so the, a section of fans, I should say, aren't particularly keen on the blue co ownership and partnership and the influence from Chelsea, and that's not really within the the remit of our focus on loan players, but it's it's sort of what's the environment you're putting players into, and what's the next step because you could put him at Strasbourg for two years if Strasbourg continue to develop as blue co hope. But 13th of 18 approaching the mid-season break probably isn't where you'd have hoped them to be. 
they're a club of good stature, good history and good potential. But it's not an easy league to to progress through if you're struggling. So you'll leave them at Strasbourg all year, ideally, and then reevaluate next summer. But if, for example, if Strasbourg had been top six this year and Angelo plays a key role in helping them achieve that, then there would be a percentage chance that Chelsea might cash in next summer already. You probably wouldn't have considered it, but you spend 15 million on him and somebody comes in with 30 million for him next summer. Amortisation aside, that's a simple doubling of uh, the, the, the of the money you spent, and they probably consider it because I think everyone knows at Chelsea right now that everyone has a price. But if it doesn't go, quite go to plan in the first half season, the first full season, then you have to extend that timeline a little bit further. And nothing wrong with that. Teenage footballers need three, four, five, six years of development, and the back half of that is learning to get to grips with the senior game. He's come from South America with 100 senior appearances, so you might have expected him to be a bit further along, but that might be unfair because it's quite a leap to come into top-level European football. Exactly, which it absolutely is. It, it'll just be interesting to see, right, because to your point, like we've just had two similar players uh, on kind of two similar paths, very different, and we'll see. I'm assuming the thought was uh, Nunny's English, what was he's at Crystal Palace, and so like him coming back would probably be an easier uh, yeah, adaptation it, for him. It's for a very sure. valid point. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that when he signed, there was opportunity for him to come in and and impress. It's, it's a mid-season move, not necessarily going to come in and, uh, and hit the ground running, but remember they did the same with Datro Fofana in the January window of 2023. And they both got some minutes on the pitch and you could see that, okay, this isn't a step that they're ready for, but the the back half of last season for Chelsea men's first team was a catastrophe and it was a learning experience for everybody. Get them on the pitch. Let's see what they're made of. In Lewis Hall's case, it earned him a, a 30 million move to Newcastle. And uh, he gets Datro some minutes and Madueke some minutes that would inform what happens in 23-24 under Pochettino. Uh, it didn't quite work out that way, but that's why you, you hit a reset in January 24. And you can try to group the, the players, as we said, left-footed attacking wingers who play off the right side. Obviously, they've got a good number of them now. None of them ready to, to come and play in, in the first team or in Madueke's to stay there. But... Yeah, uh, you, with Angelo, you want to see him impact the game more uh, on the score sheet and provide more than just a dribbling threat because that's one tool, a very strong attribute that he has. But over time and against better players, you'll find that that can be quite isolated and nullified. So that's what he's there for. Yeah, for sure. Well, we're going to take a first side break. When we get back, we have more uh, Brazilians to talk about. So thank you to the sponsors, and we'll be right back. Did you want to talk more about Andre Santos or do you want to keep going? Just keep going. I'll do a it's little bad. bit on Washington and maybe Moscato. Well, we, we don't need to over talk about Santos. We know that he's going to move on and needs to. Is it that easy in January to just like, hey, move a Not player really. on? It seems like in Nottingham Forest, they're open to it too, right? Like the ownership group wanted Andre Santos, not the manager. And so I think everyone has just agreed like, hey, this didn't work out. But you again, you, I think I'm just questioning how did we even let that situation get there? Again, ownership handshakes seems to be the the key problem. Yeah, it would have been that. The big problem with getting Santos a move in January is that it would have to be to another English club unless they free up an international spot. And then it gets complicated trying to find it in the Premier League and you should probably look to the championship. But For sure. We'll see. 
All right. Well, anyways, uh, we said David Washington in this. He's not on loan, but he's also not really played any minutes. So he seems to be a top candidate for loan. But you just said it's going to have to be in England. So how do you think he kind of fits into to the options? Because you can only have, is it one or two players on loan from a club if you're in the lower divisions? Uh, there's no limits in the EFL and the Premier League each club can have a maximum of two and no more than one from another Premier League club. I don't think there's restrictions on how many Chelsea can loan to other Premier League clubs. They could theoretically have 19, one at each of the other clubs. They wouldn't know that will never happen. But in the EFL, the restrictions are mostly you can only have five loanies in a match day squad of, of 20 in the championship. So it's not really a problem. Washington's played a few development squad games and has been predictably sharp and, and refined even though he's not played a whole lot of senior football before moving to England uh, he's had I think one uh, appearance off the bench under Pochettino and there's there's a lot to like as, as far as the aesthetic goes he's a, a really natural fluid mover uh, very capable in front of goal confident refined but hasn't played enough football and there's a potential logjam in the development squad forward ranks moving into the second half of the season and it Keeping him in England and keeping him around Cobham for the first six months has, has clearly been a decision that's worthwhile because it just helps assimilate. There's plenty of, uh, play, uh, not just Brazilians, but players of a similar culture and, and background to help him settle into England. Because remember, he's still young, he's a teenage boy. Um, and then then you're looking for, for a potential move, let's say, to the Championship if there's no international spots open for him. And I think he's ready for that. Just he's he's got he's had a taste of senior football. We know that he's got quality, and it's about finding the right club for him. And it's kind of a little bit similar to what Chelsea did with Cesare Casade last season. He came from Inter, spent the first half of the season with the development squad, playing far more regularly by comparison, and then went off on a move in January for six months to Reading, which allowed him to stay close enough to Cobham and where he lives to still be local and not be flung off 100, 200 miles somewhere up north or further down south or whatever. Uh, it was a nice step so that when he's gone to Leicester, as we'll talk about in a minute, it was established in a new country, and uh, a new environment. And even with Leicester, he's playing under a, a compatriot in Enzo Maresca. So it's not necessarily quite so easy to achieve that with David Washington, but you might, for example, try to find a manager who who speaks Portuguese or has or there's some some presence within the club that allows him to settle in whether that's in England if you want to move him to an overseas team then it has to come with some changes to the the players who are already out on loan taking up the seven spots but if we're talking about Chelsea's men's team signing Victor Osimhen or another set or even Ivan Tony or another centre forward in January then that makes it even harder for him to get senior minutes Development squad minutes won't be enough for him to get by, so you want to see him continue his growth somewhere on loan. Um, so, yes, he's not on loan right now, and there'll be other players we'll talk about later who may go on loan in January, but I think he probably should. It's just going to be quite a, an interesting decision as to where exactly you send him. For sure. Um, it'll be interesting to see, but they're going to have to, um, uh, I'd, let's get under Santos and, and Cassidy at Leicester running the midfield together. Like let's, let's start building those partnerships. I think it is, it's something to explore. I think yeah, you could put Santos into the championship and he'd be right at home. It's, it's a fast, frenetic physical league. And he's shown that he has the, the game to, to hang and to thrive in that environment. And it's not a completely lost cause with a season at Forest because he spent, 
August to now training with top flight Premier League footballers. And I, I think there's a limit on what you can get out of training. But for somebody who has only played the majority of his career in second tier Brazilian football and in youth football at international level, he'll still take a lot away from that under a strong coach in Steve Cooper there will be lessons he'll have learned and hardships he's endured and will come out the other side of um, going to Leicester from Nottingham Forest might not endear him straight away to Leicester's fans but uh, you could always win over player, uh, any any doubters with the quality of your performances and we know there's a player there uh, he's probably not Premier League level yet and that's why he hasn't played at Forest so you recalibrate you, you, you reconsider where you want to go on loan maybe take a step down and, and go from there For nothing, sure. nothing wrong with that I like it. Um, all right, what about the championship? We have got quite the crew that's in there. Uh, Amar Hutchinson is where I want to start. He was obviously way too good for uh, the Dev Squad last season, but we knew that when we got him from Arsenal, right? So he's at Ipswich. Uh, I pulled up his player radar. There's a lot of colors. Things look good, but I don't want to, you know, I don't want to just react to, to some data, Phil. I'd like to hear how you think it's going for uh, a top, top, winger attacker Amari Hutchinson how's it doing for him down in the championship really really well yes <clears throat> Ipswich uh got promoted from league one to the championship last season uh handsomely and they were widely viewed as a, a top six playoff contender which isn't necessarily always the case for newly promoted teams but they they're coached by Kira McKenna a really really good young coach they've got a lot of good quality in the squad strong level of investment for even for the championship they were wildly over invested in league one compared to their competition and so they've gone and got Amari and McKenna's been brilliant in how he's handled him for the first half of this first senior season because he's given him the perfect balance of starts in which he gets 60 minutes and then impact performances as a 30 minute game changer from the bench and that's you, you can't just throw him into that team and expect him to hold down 40 times 90 minutes as a 20 year old winger small in stature in a team that's challenging for promotion to the premier league so it's brilliant the way he's handled him and it allows him to to impact games in a myriad of ways so he's, his first goal against southampton was a poacher's finish after a mistake and it was fresh from the start and there's plenty of games he's come on and immediately tilted the field in ipswich's favor and, uh, and provides an attacking threat off that right side left-footed but he's he's got a capacity to to go on his right which a lot of young wingers won't be prepared to do and maybe more importantly and most importantly of all is that McKenna has repeatedly talked up his willingness and ability to put in a shift off the ball you've got to be responsible defensively you've got to be uh, making sure that even as a, an exceptionally talented productive winger that you're doing your bit as part of the team uh, and he's, he's 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 an effective ball winner in high areas. His pressing's good. His work rate is good, and, and he's ticking all the boxes for this first season. And if Ipswich do get promoted, then there's an argument for him to stay there for another season as he goes to the Premier League. Uh, it's far too premature to talk about that at the end of November. But they're in a good position to be challenging. He's in a good position as a, a key contributor to that. And what I'm looking for for the second half of the season is to turn more of those. 30-minute cameos from the bench into 60-75 minute starts that is making a regular impact statistically and otherwise so that by the time you get to down the stretch in March and April that they're looking to him to to help win games to keep that promotion push alive because that's what the key players are doing at the top of the championship and that's how you get your Premier League opportunities you, you turn up decisive in the last two months of the season. Five starts, 15 matches played, 574 minutes. He's got a goal and an assist so far. Uh, you, you're really excited to see it. 
Um, yeah, and that's just for the headline statistics. But as a as a general comparison in terms of the impact he's having, um, Sunderland's Jack Clark is probably the best wide forward in the division. Uh, he plays nine minutes almost every week for them, and Amari compares very favourably to him in terms of general statistical profile and, and ability to contribute with dynamic attacking play. And Clark's a bit more experienced, a little bit older, but to see Hutchinson in similar company and moving in the right direction is is all the encouragement you need to see at this point in his first senior season of football. Well, uh, yeah, and I can go a little bit deeper, right? He's got 47 attempted take-ons, and he's got over 51% are successful, which is the highest on the team. Right. Minus the, yeah. the one off one for one that are at 100 percent, you know, and, and again, he's not starting right high on carries, uh, high on progressive distances like Omari is driving the play forward. And that's what you love to see, especially as he's, you know, kind of in the middle of the table in terms of playing time. But he's he's the team's doing well. Like I was just kind of looking through some of the results and stuff. And I mean, they're second in the championship behind Lester, like we were talking about it, he's playing well in a good team, but also like even those cameos, which can hopefully turn into more feel like his confidence. I'm looking at like his player blocks and FB ref, like he's clearly doing well. And from a confidence and being in a good environment, I mean, this is literally the opposite of like the under Santos in that sense. Yeah. And also sort of the opposite to Angelo Gabriel at Strasbourg. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. How would Angelo do in Ipswich? How would Amari do in Strasbourg? You can try to have that thought exercise all around and it's, you, you do want to compare them because they're the same rough age and the same positional and player profile. But the way that McKenna's handled Hutchinson is fantastic. And that number of take-ons, for example, you have to create an environment where the player feels that they can take on and lose the ball because the times that you are successful are going to more often than not create a high-value chance. You a lot, a lot of times you'll see managers tell young wingers to be cautious with their approach and maybe all right you get into the final third and then keep the ball rather than and then take it on and try to get into the box and that's not what it was really true about they're a very attacking team and McKenna's clearly given Amari the confidence to to go about his craft in a way that says right sometimes you're going to fail you're a young winger that's part of the game you keep at it you keep pushing you keep the volume so that you will be successful and it gives us more and more chance of scoring from the the high quality chances that you're creating and he's got a lot of strings to his bow, as you can see, whereas Angelo, by comparison, is just a heavy dribbler with questionable output at the end of it. So that's where I see the comparisons. But Amari's ticking so many boxes right now, and he'll be one of the top players to watch in the second half of the season as we're looking at the lone army. Yeah, super excited about that. Uh, Basher Humphreys uh, coming off. Wasn't his last one in Germany in the second division? It was. It was with Benji Weber uh, uh, at Paderborn. Benji was one of Thomas Tuchel's backroom team and is now the director of football there. He had a, a really good spell back half of last season, which he parlayed into a championship move at Swansea, where it's going steady. I wouldn't say spectacular, but that's not a problem at all for a young centre-back because he's only 20, playing regularly for a, a decent championship team. Hasn't always been at centre-half. I think he's played some left-back, but uh, in general, he's playing well. And I'm not going to make the comparison to Mark Gahey, who went to Swansea and had an 18-month loan spell there. But just just be patient with him. There's no need to be overly desperate to, to bring him into Chelsea. He showed what he could do in pre-season. 
performed to a high level, but preseason is preseason. There are a lot of young defenders at Chelsea, and there's going to be competition for places. So you do what you do at Swansea. You want the second half of this season to be more authoritative than the first half as he's feeling his way in and and getting comfortable with the pace and the intensity of the championship. You want to see him start to drive attacking play from the back as well as retaining his defensive strength. Because defensive metrics are, are pretty good, um, but he's not really given the responsibility to, to drive the play in possession from, from the heart of the defence. And we know that the modern defender has to do that. So... And we know that he's capable. We've seen him do it through Chelsea's youth teams, for England's youth teams, and a little bit for Chelsea's men's team in pre-season. So second half of this line, what's the objective? It's to take the platform that you've built in the first half and to start to shine so that when we come to next summer, it's not going to be uh, a route into Chelsea's squad unless something either goes very wrong or very right, depending on your perspective. But it's, can you turn that Swansea loan into a step up the ladder? whether that's a top top championship team or a top European team or a lower Premier League loan or, or what have you. But the club have shown that they've got a lot of confidence in him and the Swansea move is good for him. Uh, and there's there's no reason to be alarmed with what we've seen so far. I think he's doing what's expected of him and that's good, solid, professional football. Uh, oh, absolutely. It's it, Centre-back is a grind, right? You want to show endurance over season, reliability, health, all those different things like that. So um, I think that that's pretty, pretty important. What, as we continue to cruise through this, uh, Chester Cassidy, super excited um, since he came in. You and I reviewing the, the dev squad when he was just dropping bombs from 35, uh, you know, just getting involved in all these different ways. He played a quite a bit in preseason. Got to see quite a bit of him over here in the U.S., uh, but never really felt like he was going to stay, him or Santos. Um, it seemed like Santos had the leg up, but he's at Leicester. They are in first place in the championship. And again, just the, the top-level stats here, 13 matches played, five starts with 538 minutes. Very similar to Amari in that sense. Also has a goal. Um what would you like to pick out about him? I think they showed the last five matches. It was 27 minutes, 66 minutes, where he start, He started the last four, the last five, and he's played 66 minutes, 78 minutes, 90 minutes, and 76 minutes. He's been playing his right mid. Um, what's kind of been the gauge for you on this one? Yeah, I think the right mid is probably a slight misrepresentation just from a generic uh, reporting perspective. Uh, with him, it's mostly about refining what sort of midfielder he's going to be because there was a lot of attention paid to him before coming into pre-season with Chelsea because of the Under-20 World Cup where he was, to all intents and purposes, an auxiliary striker for Italy. He was their top goal, the tournament's top goal scorer. He, he had some midfield contribution, but his primary responsibility was to get forward and score goals. And we know he can do that. He's tall, he's athletic, he heads brilliantly. He's got a fantastic shot on him and Italy were right to use him in that way. But... There's a limited shelf life for those limited players at the top of English football. So he goes to Leicester working under Enzo Maresca, who comes in as somebody who's worked with Guardiola at Manchester City and then went off to manage on his own at Palmer. Comes in with a strong reputation that he's going to come in and, and turn Leicester into some of the best teams that Championship has ever seen. And Julie goes off and they break the record for the best, uh, best start to a Championship season after 12 games. Um... And they've got a squad that probably should still be in the Premier League. They weren't very good last season, but they've got Premier League quality players. So for Cassidy to be 
getting semi-regular minutes in a rotation with them is impressive enough. And he's been given the chance to show that he can be an all-round box-to-box midfielder. And, yeah, he's got one goal, uh, and that's fine. That, that came in very typical Cassidy fashion. It was crashing the box late as a third-man runner. Uh, instinctive finish from eight, ten yards out, I think, off my head. But if you just look at some of the, the cut-ups of what he does, he's covering ground, he's making tackles, he's driving through the lines, he's passing. None of it's overly spectacular, but he's just knitting together all of the foundational elements for a midfielder who can do various things that you ask of him. We've already seen that if you want to plug him in as a 10 in a 4-2-3-1 just using it off my head and just say hey go on crash the box and score goals don't worry about being involved in the build-up too much don't worry about having lots of touches we want you to score goals because that's the most effective use of you we know he can do that but Leicester are asking him to do a little bit more in the middle of the park as as a tr- old school midfielder and this is a pretty good environment to do it in we were talking about where do you send David Washington how do you give them a comfortable environment to go off and learn and Cassidy going to work for an Italian manager he's brilliant Maresca said early on in his time it was like I know him I know I know all about him I know him from Italian youth development football obviously we know him from the World Cup he's going in to a club where he isn't an unknown commodity and has been entrusted through training through performances through reputation to to go on and play uh, a solid role for a very very good championship team and again like Humphreys like Hutchinson you want to see him take this good platform and turn it into very good in the second half of the season you want more goals from him you want him to command a regular starting place and help drive Leicester to promotion because then that's a player who very arguably can play for a bottom six Premier League team right now and it gives you cause for thinking okay if he finishes the season with six seven eight goals what's his ceiling for next season can he play for Chelsea can he net a profit can he go and play for a, a Brighton or a Crystal Palace or also somebody who's looking for conference league or Europa League qualification that's not a particular leap from top end of the championship players have gone on and, and done that routinely year after year I think the championship top level performances in the championship are a greater indicator of Premier League success uh, on a on a general level than any other league and uh, that doesn't mean that the best players in the Premier League always come through the Championship I just think you're typically more likely to get a good reliable Premier League player for the majority of the league from the Championship than from anywhere else so it's always exciting when Chelsea send players to that level because it's it's a grind it's a 46 game season you're going to get plenty of minutes even if you're only playing 30 games out of those 46 it's it's the best bang for the buck you can get so for Chelsea to trust Hutchinson and Cassidy and Humphreys and Mason Burstow the fourth one we're going to talk about to go in at that level speaks volumes about how well they're rated or in and around Cobham and and it gives them the opportunity to go and, and really grab with both hands the chance to to make a name for themselves yeah well, well without a doubt and um Look, we've had a lot of success there, so I want to see it continue to go. Um, we're going to take our last break. When we get back, Mason Burstow, super excited to talk about him and his time at Sunderland. So thank you to the sponsors, and we'll be right back. All right, Mason Burstow, it is. Uh, he's in the championship as well with Sunderland. Um, interesting. If I just got the eye test, what are you going to tell me, Phil? I'd see passing percentage is crazy. His assists is high. There's not a lot between shots and shooting. Is he... 
rounding out his game? Is he playing a support striker role? Is he a cam? What's what's going on with Mr. Burstow? A little bit of all of that. Sunderland are typically a very young team. They too have a Bellingham who is shining this season, Jude's younger brother, Job. And, and Mason's getting his minutes. And he, remember, he's had quite a, a, a quick rise to prominence. He was playing for Charlton in League One and then signed for Chelsea and spent a year in development squad with Chelsea. And then in the space of not very much time at all this past August and September, made his Chelsea debut, got his first England call-up, signed a new contract, went online to Sunderland. It's a, It's been a bit of a blur. So just to go into Sunderland, who they've got a really young squad, lots of like young talent up there. And there's no there's no great expectations on him to come in because they they've had options and he he's another one of a, a good group of young players and it, it hasn't necessarily been hit the ground running and he hasn't necessarily been as impressive as Hutchinson and and Cassidy and Tackinson's but he hasn't done anything wrong it's just again about building yourself a solid ground upon which to to go about your business and the international breaks probably haven't helped build momentum he was away with England for at least one of those nothing wrong with what he's doing there was a game on Sky that Sunderland had um, away to Sheffield Wednesday where he was outstanding uh, he got an assist he won a penalty uh, proved a nuisance up front and that's the sort of thing you want to see from him when he gets his opportunities to start when he gets on to to, to be a game changer or a game or a closer as a centre forward make the most of those there's, there's going to be patchy performance for a young striker at any level particularly in the championship which by the way means that when someone like Tammy Abraham went into the championship and scored 20 plus goals for Bristol City in his first season there that's an outstanding season that's rare that's like that's historic and should have been viewed as such rather than it being the norm Uh, and obviously Tammy's gone on to be very successful for Chelsea and for Roma and hopefully he comes back from injury at Roma uh, better than ever and we still hold out hope that he can have a, a return to Chelsea uh, one day. But I digress. Uh, if Mason finishes the season with six goals and Sunderland end up in the playoffs, it's, it's a good season because he's part of a collective effort that's helping. A rising tide lifts all ships and Sunderland will elevate Burstow as much as Burstow elevates Sunderland. And this is the first step in... I would say the first step because he obviously played League One for Charlton before. First step in his Chelsea journey outside of the, the common bubble. Gets himself a really, really good opportunity to play. And I think the, the best is yet to come with him. We haven't seen enough to really be excited by, but there's nothing wrong with what he's done either. Just we want to see more. All right. Well, hey, progress. And in case you forgot, uh, the club dropped that amazing little biopic about um, about Mason right before the season started. Uh it hasn't been easy for the kid, right? But he is absolutely fighting for every inch. Highly recommend you go check it out. It is it's not long, um, but it is very very well produced. Super excited the club did did something like that for a young player. Um, all right, you've got some more in the in the EFL in the lower divisions with non league. I think we can just kind of rip through some of these, uh, and I'll let you kind of of play it out. But you've got Dion Rankin and Tino Andrin. Um, started great and then injured. Are, again, we're doing this again. Injuries. We're doing this again. Yeah. yeah. So, so Rankin's at Exeter and really good start there. I think they lost only one of the first eight games he played, and then he got injured at the start of September and only came back uh, a fortnight ago. So he missed about two and a half months. Um, unfortunately, he came on at the weekend at halftime against Bolton, and they lost seven nil. 
Uh, a lot of the damage was done before he was on the pitch, but it's not really the most auspicious way to come back. He was doing really well there. Loves it there. Really excited. Carved out a brilliant role for himself as right wing back and was uh, having an impact. So hopefully now he's over that injury and, and can go back in and help Exeter to turn it around because they've really, whether it's coincidence or whether it's actually his absence being felt, um, that one defeat in eight when he started there, they've tumbled down the table um, and they're now in a relegation battle. So you'd like to see him go back in and, and help lift them up the table. Uh, and yeah, unfortunately, we're here again with, with Andrew and Portsmouth were looking after him superbly. Uh, he was making an impact, scored a couple of goals in the EFL Trophy, starting to come into his own. We know the quality he's got. And then he tore his hamstring in an FA Cup tie. And uh, the local Portsmouth News said that it would be eight weeks minimum, which would put us turn of the year because it's happened at the start of November. So hopefully it is just that because we've been in this situation before where something happened before Christmas and it, it ruined the rest of the season. And, and we don't want that because it's first and foremost a young footballer enduring year after year after year on the sidelines. It takes its toll. It's horrible. And for the person, I, I, I can't comprehend how hard it is to deal with that repeatedly knowing that uh, before all of this happened you were playing Premier League football for Chelsea long term contract really really highly rated and on the verge of a breakthrough but more importantly than that it's just he he's, he was doing well doing well for Portsmouth a team that's pushing for promotion in their own right and we want to see him back on the pitch we want to see him uh, making an impact uh, and enjoying himself and playing football because that's what it's all about and so hopefully this is only a, a mild setback and we see him back on the pitch in early 2024 there's a couple of Chelsea players also in League One you've got Harvey Vale at Bristol Rovers who has spent most of his time there playing at left back which we don't want to see we want to see him playing further forward um, all of that time at left back was under Joey Barton who spent two full minutes of a press conference extolling his virtues and saying he was one of the best players in a disappointing performance and then Joey Barton lost his job the following day um, so take that however you will and again it's a player who like Andrew should be playing at a higher level for different reasons they're both in League One um, don't think we'll necessarily see a reset unless things go completely south at Rovers but again trying to get him into the championship clubs were looking at him as a left back or a left wing back and we know he's at his best as uh, one of those myriad of left footed attacking forwards that we've spoken about quite a lot on this episode already um, Zach Sturge is at Peterborough he went out on deadline day uh, having been really impressive for the development squad in a left centre back or a left wing back role he's not starting for them he's getting minutes off the bench and cut minutes he hasn't had a league start yet I think it might have been slightly premature not necessarily to go on loan because we spoke in the summer about him being a candidate to go out it was him or Dylan Williams you probably wouldn't send both at the same time so Sturge got the move and Peterborough's a good club to go to if only because they are known for taking a chance on young players from various different backgrounds they routinely take players out of non-league and spin them up for a 10 times profit so it's it's, it's no, no problem to go there you just want to see him play more and I don't necessarily think they'll try and take him out of Peter and go somewhere else this is part of the journey can you earn your place in a good league one team in the second half of the season um, because if not you probably have a sideways move to another league one team and it might not be any better and with respect to league two he's not going to go to league two I think he's better than that level then you've got a couple of goalies in non-league. Ted Sharman Lowe went to Bromley and hasn't played and by all accounts had the opportunity to go 
to other non-league clubs at the same level, National League, um, back in August. And there was a late decision made to send it to Bromley and it hasn't worked out. So I would not expect that one to continue past early January. I would expect the club to find him a new loan at the same level. Uh, he was at Haven Waterlooville, which is a step below last season. That's why he's moved up to the National League. I think he's perfectly capable of playing at that level. Uh, but Bromley have Grant Smith and they've preferred him for his experience over a young goalie and fair play to them. But that's their, that's their remit. Uh, Ted Curd is a couple of steps down at Hashtag United. Uh, ignore the, the, the silliness of Hashtag as a brand. They are playing at a level that's appropriate for Ted to go in on loan. Um, the comparison I make is that Max Merrick, who's Ted's age group teammate in the academy, played for Hanwell Town on loan last season. Hanwell are a division below hashtag. No, nobody had an issue with Ted uh, with Max going to Hanwell. It was widely viewed as a good move. Nathan Bax has done this sort of thing before. Loads of goalies over the years. Um, Ed Beach went to Chelmsford. Ted's doing really well at hashtag. Obviously went away to the under-17 World Cup, so it's missed a month for them. But... It's perfect. They're a part-time semi-professional team, so he stays at Cobham training with either the men's first team or the academy for half of the week, and then goes into hashtag and does training before the match. Plays on a Saturday. Perfect balance. Gets a lot of senior experience, stuff, exposure to stuff that you won't get in the youth game. Long way that one continue. Yeah, without a doubt, uh, a lot going on around the different leagues. Honestly, don't know how you uh, keep up with most of it, but um, you know, positives. I, I did want to circle back to the injuries real quick and just remind everybody. At some point, even like as a top, top footballer, you start to lose your spark. You start to lose a passion. You start because you haven't experienced it for so long. You just become disconnected and disengaged with the game. And that's what sucks for these young players. And to be fair, players of all stages. And that's why sometimes um, their careers just get off to to a, a, a sideways twist. And it's it's hard to remember the good times when it seems like you're constantly in the physios room and on the training tables, it is frustrating. So hopefully they can get that turned around. It really, really is. We've seen anecdotally for some of the, the senior players at Chelsea who've had long injury absences and have been very open with their struggles about what they've been through. We've seen Reese James document it. We've seen Ben Chilwell talk about it. We've seen Amanda Breuer talk about it and talking to Ben Chilwell about enduring long absences out of the team and how you deal with it from a mental perspective. It's it's really healthy and encouraging uh, for everyone to be open. And that's just for one long layoff. If it's year after year after year, it, it, take, it takes its toll in the worst way. And to have the mental fortitude to keep coming back and to keep fighting through it, it's, it's absolutely remarkable and that's more to the point of why it's, it's just general decency to hope that everybody gets to experience the career that they deserve and want but when it's when it's somebody who plays for your club and that you've seen come through and you you know the talent that's there and you know the desire that's there you just 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 catch a break just just one season without a, a significant injury absence that's all that's all we're asking for because it can you can just turn like that if you have that season you build the momentum going back the other way, positive momentum, upward momentum, and suddenly everything seems more possible again. Yeah. All right. Um, DDF, David Dautro Fafana. What do we what do we think about him and his, you know, the Champions League player for Chelsea this season? Yeah, we'll spin it off to continental Europe now. Uh, Union Berlin have not had the second season that their fairy tale 
may have suggested obviously qualified for the Champions League as a club of their stature was incredible and honestly watching some of their Champions League matches this season the results haven't been there but they're playing in the Olympia Stadion in Berlin not their home stadium they're filling it out 80,000 people it's a genuinely incredible atmosphere to see and he's been in that team he just hasn't played as much or as well as you might have hoped uh, we we spoke in August that he was going to go there and probably play second fiddle to Sherald Becker, their main number nine, their centre forward, their talisman, and that's how it's been. And uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. Datro again, like we spoke about with Madueke, came from a developmental style league, came from Norway, which is not close to the Eredivisie in standard with respect to that. And then taking that step into the Chelsea environment, that's why he played for the development squad and looked fine there. So this is a bridge move, great. Um, not really pulling up any trees there that doesn't reflect his talent probably more reflective of the fact that Union went 13 or 14 games without a win and have now sacked the manager who got them into the Champions League and they'll be overhauling things their new manager gets a a couple of games before the Bundesliga's winter break and that's going to be a time for everyone to, to take stock of what's going on does he fit into the new manager's plans does the new manager have particular ideas about how to use him that might differ from the summer when that arrangement was made do you pull him out of there and send him somewhere else I think as a rule Chelsea are disinclined to do that but if you for example were to take Datro out of Union Berlin and put him into a championship team because you think that's best for his development now and I'm sure there'll be plenty of takers in the championship that then frees up an international loan spot for somebody else to go out into maybe Andre Santos for example or someone like Gabriel Moscato who is today being linked with a big money move from Corinthians, probably wouldn't come into Chelsea for the simple reason that they've got about a billion midfielders who will cost more than him. But if you can't loan him out because you haven't got an international loan spot, then it becomes complicated again. So there'll be some juggling with these players who are out on loaning Europe. Charlie Webster's a heron vein. He doesn't count towards the limit because he's under 21 and came through as a homegrown player at Chelsea. That also hasn't really gone to plan. He scored very early on the way to go ahead Eagles brilliant like his first, second or third appearance I think it was maybe even been his first and then three minutes later he got sent off for one of the most ridiculous reckless tackles you've ever seen I don't know it's complete head loss just one of those things where you just completely clatter somebody got a three game ban and hasn't really been back in the team since he did score a winner for England under 20 was over the international break uh, last minute winner away to Germany lovely goal uh, but even then, sort of the the grip on a regular under twenties place has been tenuous because he's not been playing for Herovane. He hasn't necessarily been in the initial squad. He's been the first call up when somebody has withdrawn. I think that's been the case both of the October and November windows. But he took his chance when it was presented to him, figuratively and literally, in the England shirt. And that's something to to cling on to going back to Herovane. This time last year with Charlie, we were thinking, okay, contracts up at the end of the season. What's going to happen with him? There was purported interest from Dortmund from various Dutch clubs and it seemed like he was out the door and then he penned a new contract to go through to summer 24 goes alone to the, to Heronvane who was also subject of one of those lovely uh, little short videos that the club produced on Mason Burstow Charlie got his own one of those as well really good exposure um, just want to see him play more whether it's a Heronvane or whether he shifts club because that's the only way you're going to know what comes next because right now if it was to be saying Herovane and he plays 10% of minutes between now and June it's going to peter out into a, a, a departure uh, at the end of his contract and will sign somewhere else and probably just regret it because there's a quality player in there um, 
probably get lost in the shuffle of many, many young midfielders at Chelsea who cost more money than him, unfortunately. But if that red card doesn't happen five minutes after he scores his first goal, I think this lone move looks a lot different. It's just unfortunate the way it went down. Well, you know, again, especially I think at this level, it's just a lot more at risk, less stable. Is that a good way to put it? Yeah, for sure. You, you've got senior managers in competitive leagues who don't necessarily want to entrust their job security to a young loanee who they may not have had uh, a great input into bringing in. I know the, the model is the sporting director and the sporting director at Heronvane was one of Chelsea's academy scouts for a while, knows him. Uh, Kenneth Zandlitt knows Charlie quite well through the Chelsea system and would have delivered the player and said, here's a player quality player go and work with him and the minutes haven't been there but that doesn't mean that they won't come we've had players go on loan to the Eredivisie before plenty of times most significantly at Vitesse and they don't play for the first few months because of the acclimation period and then you settle in you figure out how you can contribute and then the second half of the season looks a lot different that's what you're holding out for whether it's a heron vein or whether he uses the first three four months there to to kick start with a, a move elsewhere could it's toss of a coin as to what's going to happen whether he stays or goes somewhere else but you just got to play in the second half of the season because you don't want to end up with uh, a June contract expiry and having had a waste of a season ahead of it yeah um okay sounds good I mean the the thing is that we got to start talking with Matt and everybody about January but it's it's a lot to go on. Like, I think it's just good to remember, to remind everybody, like there's so many moving pieces. And unfortunately the loan players and the Academy players are just, you know, naturally last to go, uh, you know, things like that. But as you've got here, there's a lot of potential options. I don't know what's going on with Ian Matson. I'm so confused. The amount he played in preseason, then we get into the season and he's like nowhere to be found. I know Potts is playing Levi Kowal at left back because he needs more height in the team with such a small midfield. But, you know, he's he seems to be, I think, the big one for me of, like, what are we doing? And I have a feeling that if he goes out on loan or something, that'll be the beginning of the end, especially with this contract situation. Yeah, I think so. Um, it's important to note that he didn't play left-back at all in preseason, so Cole will play left-back. doesn't really impact on why Martson is not playing. He hasn't played, um, probably because Cole Palmer was signed. Martin was playing as that versatile left-footed attacking forward option. And yeah, Nkunku's injury opens up a spot as well, but then Palmer comes in and and Martin hasn't played. And the club considered a bid from Burnley. I think Martin rejected it. That would have been a loan with a view to a move or potential obligation based on conditions in the same way that Hall's gone to Newcastle. And I could see January just being a reprise of that and... Burnley will probably think they can get themselves a bit of a discount because Martin hasn't really played very much, having stayed behind thinking that he could, and he probably should have. Um, it's really hard to get 15 minutes once every three weeks and do something impactful to it. You can end up with it going completely the other way, um, losing to Nottingham Forest. Sorry, Brentford it was, and it wasn't Nottingham Forest, where uh, the second counter-attack goal came from uh, a challenge that Martin may well have felt he should have done better with physically uh, but it, it's hard to come into those games cold and I know that's the challenge for a fringe squad player you have to come in and be impactful we saw Breuer do it in his comeback against Man City he wasn't on the pitch for very long but won a penalty with composure in the and the foresight and the presence of mind to, to act instinctively in the box so it can go either way um, but yeah I agree with you that 
Martin stayed backing himself to get minutes based off a, a healthy preseason in 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 the states, and that hasn't materialised. There's a lot of competition for places, and it's particularly hard if you're a if you're viewed as a bit of a Swiss Army knife. You play at central midfield or attacking midfield or left wing or right wing or nominally left back, even though he hasn't been trusted there by Pochettino. He knows he'll have options elsewhere. Chelsea triggered a contract extension, but that's just to give themselves breathing room. It, 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 the writing seems on the wall, especially with even more players contending to be signed in January. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, uh, other than that, I know we, you know, we'll have to see what happens for some of the other first team players. But uh, too many goalkeepers. I think we can just real yeah. quickly say, like, uh, do you feel like anyone is potentially going to move on permanently out of that group or just more? Probably like- Jamie Cumming because Jamie Cumming's like 24 yeah. now and completely seems to disappear. He played in preseason. Yep. Everyone seemed to get some minutes in preseason. Hasn't played for the dev squad, hasn't been around on the bench or anything. Uh, clearly quite, uh, he's around the club. He appears in training videos. I don't know why he didn't get a move. Maybe there was just a... Uh, in the same way that other people didn't get a move, there was a finite number of people trying to get the Enzo deal and the Casado deal over the line. Respect. I don't know if it's the Enzo was last January, but it seemed to affect various things then as well. Not enough resources to get everything done. I'd probably being a bit facetious, but yeah, he's not been playing. Eddie Beach has been the sharing dev squad duties with um, with Max Merrick. And you can loan Beach out. Lucas Bergstrom's hanging around in a similar capacity to come in, although Bergstrom has been on the bench at times. It's been as the third goalie because uh, Petrovic has also been on the bench. So Bergstrom needs to play. Beach needs to play. Slonina's obviously already out at Open in Belgium. He's getting minutes. It's not been particularly as impressive as you might have hoped. Probably not as good as he was at Chicago, but it's less important overall um, as to what he's doing as the fact he's playing in exposure to senior football Slonina's still a teenager and this is another full season of senior football it's going to augur well um, because it gives him a lot of reference points as to what he needs to improve on whereas we're talking about guys here in Bergstrom and Beach and coming they've all played senior football not at the top level but they've, they've all done it and they just need to go out and play more and then you can if you leave Kurt at hashtag, you, you let Merrick take over as the regular dev squad goalie. You can push Luke Campbell up a little bit and then give Kai Crampton more 18s minutes because he's not been playing as regularly. And everyone can move up the ladder a little bit as you start to clear. I wouldn't say it's a log jam because they kept Beach back so that they had seniority to play in the in the EFL Trophy and in, in, in PL2. But they're out of the EFL Trophy and Beach has already proven himself, not just as a quality PL2 goalie, but did really well at Chelmsford in senior football last season. So you want to see him move on, take the next step. And then then you could look at any of the, the dev squad defenders to go out. Gilchrist, Dylan Williams, Josh Brook and Gilchrist was widely expected to go somewhere on loan in the summer. He was, like Bashir Humphreys, got minutes in the, the men's first team in pre-season, did really well. And then he was going to stay for the first half of the season and see January. I'd be staggered if he doesn't go in January because he's ripe for a move now. Williams has been ready for a move for a while. One of the most effective players in the dev squad. Plays nominally as the left side of a back three, but has this sort of free role where he just darts forward centrally wide, impacts the game everywhere else. Brooking, I mean, you could have a Brooking, Gilchrist, Williams back three regularly this season. Uh, He's 21 and hasn't been on loan anywhere because the opportunity hasn't come along, but I think the time's right for him. Gives you a little bit of an opportunity to refresh a younger dev squad group. You can bring Harrison Murray-Campbell in more regularly. He started the season really well, but the playing time hasn't been there for him because Alfie Gilchrist came back. 
And, and then the rest of the squad's quite young, but we spoke right at the start of this that there's a bit of a logjam with the dev squad forward ranks because David Washington is a part of it. You've got Jimmy J. Morgan and Ronnie Stutter who are there with him and have both scored prolifically this season. Donnell McNeely scoring a goal a game for the 18s and he's mostly coming off the bench in every dev squad game. So you've got four really good young forwards there for ostensibly two spots. But you've also got Duane Richards coming in from from Jamaica in January. He officially becomes a Chelsea player a couple of weeks ago when he turned 18. Um, and if he figures to join with the group, again, because if he goes on loan, he takes an international loan spot. Then you've got five forwards. If Washington goes out, you've still got four. So it's not easy to identify whether it would be Morgan or Stutter who goes on loan. You could put Richards on loan somewhere in England, but that seems less likely because he's coming from not really much of anything in Jamaican football and you'd like to get him in-house and work with him in, in the Cobham environment first. But that seems a lot of forwards for not a lot of competitions now that they're out of the EFL trophy. So you don't want any of them to miss out. Um, Morgan and Stutter have both done well this season, both played well against League One teams in the EFL trophy. So you'd look towards them and Washington, but you, you don't want to have too many players and none of them getting the minutes they deserve. Yeah, again, a, a lot. Which is a problem we faced in the men's first team as well. There's a bunch of new signings, uh, and it's, it's sort of done on a, on a lower macro level within the dev squad as well. That's exactly it, right? It's just like, again, so many changes, not a lot of consistency. I think, you know, there, Matt Lodge has put on our article talking about how Chelsea has to be one in, one out in January. So, like, again, how do we... How do we manage that, you know, where, again, there's not too many changes. Potch hopefully can pick his. We've got 30, but I think he really would like it to be down to 24. I think six of those you could say are fringe players, but it's, again, definitely a, a bloated squad, and it doesn't seem like it's getting any better with all these. But we got it. It's just the injury report every week yes. that keeps it at a manageable number, and that's not a sustainable way to go about squad building and squad management. You can't just assume or even hope that six or seven players are injured every week so that you've got manageable numbers. It needs to be whittled down. It needs to be uh, just managed a lot better than it has been so for far. For sure. So anyways, that that's a lot. Like I, I hope you all appreciated it. There wasn't a lot of Academy football, so we pivoted to Lone Army. As you can tell, there's a lot going on there as well. So as always, Phil, thank you so much. Appreciate all of your expertise in this area. Absolute pleasure. We'll be back at some point in December to talk over what it looks like a really busy run into Christmas across all the age groups and probably a little bit of end of year fun as well. I love it. Well, again, at Chelsea Youth on Twitter, but you already knew that. I'm Brandon. We are back with another Cobham crew. Hope you enjoyed it. Let us know if there's anyone you missed for the next one. Uh, but until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Get the blue flag flying high.